time fellowshipping with other pastors and pastors' wives and learning some things to bring back to us again. Uh, but in the meantime, we have a visitor who's becoming kind of a regular. They've been here a number of times. Tim and Melanie Wastrel are here with us. And uh, I'm going to let him sort of Worstel. I said Wastrel, didn't I? It's Worstel. I'm sorry. But um, I'll let him introduce himself a little bit again to us and uh, share the message with us this morning. So. Well, good morning, Calvary Bible Church. How's everybody doing this morning? A little windswept, huh? My computer decided to uh, go to sleep during all that worship and everything like that. So um, we'll get it to wake up here in a second. Um, yeah, my name is Tim. Uh, I've been able to uh, be here a couple of times over the last couple of years. Um, I am an elder at LifePoint Church down in Norfolk. Um, and you might remember that uh, my wife and I, Melanie, we managed the Abbey Christian Store for the last, well, the last nine years of its existence uh, is a good way of putting it. Uh, the last time that I was here with you guys was May of last year. Uh, the only reason I know that is because I didn't remember when, and so I went to Google Maps uh, who, which uh, apparently tracks my movements. Uh, <laughs> and it said that I was here um, uh, on May 23rd. I think I spoke on May 16th and May 23rd. I went through the book of Ruth with you guys uh, back then. And uh, I got to repeat that just a couple weeks ago at LifePoint Church. So uh, thank you for giving me a chance to, to run through that. Um, but since then, a lot has changed. Uh, we did close the Abbey in July. Uh, which was an incredibly peaceful process. Um, it was um, sad, but really easy, which we knew God's hand was in it, leading us, guiding us, and directing us. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we came, that came to an end. Um, but I also got the opportunity to answer the call to full-time ministry. Um, uh, I have a friend who is the area director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in Northeast Nebraska, and she informed me about a, a role that was opening up in, in that organization. And so I said, well, let's just see what God has. And, and he made it all happen. Uh, he made it possible for me to come on board as a staff member. Uh, I did so uh, in November is whenever I started with FCA. Um, and so what I am is I am the area rep uh, for Madison, Antelope, and Pierce County. So you guys, uh, the school district here in, in Neely, Neely Oakdale, um, but also I have some of your rival or some of the Neely rivals. I, have, I cover Plainview and Pierce and, and all those guys too. Uh, so it's just been a lot of fun the last six months kind of getting my feet underneath me, trying to figure out what the, what the, the ministry looks like and, and the things that I can do to um, just help spread the gospel uh, in this particular way. Um, I also uh, got to, uh, I don't know if you folks remember, the first time I came to visit, I told you that I grew up in a Calvary Bible church. Um, I actually got to speak at Ca the same Calvary Bible church uh, less than a month ago, but not under great circumstances. Um, my dad, who uh, was uh, 79 years old, fell and broke his hip uh, in March, um, or no, in February. <clears throat> and... Uh, was able to have successful hip surgery, but he had just had so many ailments and sicknesses and illnesses and 
his body was just riddled with a lot of uh, bad stuff, heart condition, diabetic, all that kind of stuff. That, uh, and he passed away on March 10th, uh, went home to be with his Savior. Um, I, I tell people that it, it's still, still driving down this road of, on one side is this uh, grief of losing my father, but on the other side is this hope, knowing that when he breathed his last breath here on earth, he opened his eyes to view his Savior in all of his glory, uh, which he will be rid of any kind of ailment, um, any kind of sickness, any kind of, um, even his sin is gone. Uh, he is in full right relationship with his Savior for eternity. So just driving that, that road of, of the grief and the hope uh, has been really interesting for me. But uh, we had a memorial service for him uh, on April 2nd, um, and I got to, to stand and speak on behalf of my dad uh, and present the gospel uh, in a way that he would have done for other people at their funerals, so that it was really neat. I also, standing at the pulpit, it's a lot smaller than this one is, uh, but standing at the pulpit, someone told me that the pulpit I was standing at was the same one that he preached at. And so it was just like this moment in the middle of this service that I'm just like, whoa, you know, like it was really, really heavy. Um, but it was just a, a, great, a great way to be able to honor my dad uh, and how he served the Lord his entire life. Um, so... Let's get into today. Um, I want to start off by telling you that um, I didn't do really good in school. Um, I, I remember my senior year, others were taking, you know, calculus and trigonometry and all these big math kind of classes, and I took business math. My senior year, my, it was business math. I did learn how to use an adding machine, and I could still somewhat use an adding machine, I guess. But I'm not kidding. The first day, the first question in our book was two plus two, my senior year. I got that one right. Um, I, I was told that I didn't really apply myself in school, which is, which is probably true. I mean, there's truth to that. I did have subjects that I loved, like chorus and drama and, and band, those types of things, mainly because I was successful at them. I knew what I was doing. I, I could get by in doing that. Um, but when it came to other academic avenues, I was less than stellar. Um, I did love to read as a child, as a kid. My mom put that in me. She just put books in front of me and said, go read, and so I would. And I came to love reading. Um, but as if it was part of a curriculum, part of my English class or, or, or something like that, man, it was like pulling teeth. Uh, English was absolutely another struggle. You wouldn't believe how many grammatical errors are in this sermon alone. So um, <clears throat> if you do catch any of my misspellings, you get a prize. <laughs> but if you happen to be a newspaper editor or something like that, it, it doesn't count. He just walked out, though. So um, <laughs> um, one thing I did enjoy, though, was the day that the scholastic book fairs came to our school. I don't know if you remember this. Did you have that? Was that something? The scholastic book fairs? was something that happened here. Um, I, would, I would be really excited because I would buy the latest installment of the literary masterpiece, Mad Libs. Do you remember Mad Libs? Okay, I loved Mad Libs. If you're not familiar with what they are, um, basically it's a story that's told, but select words are missing throughout. Uh, so you ask someone to supply a noun, an adjective, a, a pronoun, an adverb, or a verb, or a color, or a number, or name of boy in room, 
um, whatever it may ask. So then you read the story back with the provide verbiage, and comedy ensues. Um, I will say that in spite of the satirical nature of Mad Libs, man, they, they did get a lot of kids to learn their grammar, so they were, they were sneaky about that, I think. All that to say, today I would like to talk about verbs. Now, I'm fully aware we're not at Neely Elementary, um, and we're at church, so it's not going to be like an English lesson, uh, but I would like to focus on a particular passage of the Bible and the verbs that are included in it. So if you have your Bibles, if you would open with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. That's the last chapter in the book of Matthew. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. You might recognize this passage. It is widely known as the Great Commission. Let me read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, first week, we can see that there is only 11 disciples here that went to Galilee, and we can look back to the last chapter, chapter 27 of Matthew, uh, for part of that reason. Just last week on Easter Sunday, we celebrated the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was betrayed before he was beaten, crucified, and buried. And the one who betrayed him was Judas Iscariot. He's the guy who kept the money for Jesus and his disciples. He was the one who was their treasurer. He was also the guy who made a really big stink when a woman broke an expensive bottle of perfume to anoint Jesus' feet. This is also the guy who sold out Jesus for, for 30 measly pieces of silver. But he was also the guy who was an essential cog in the story of redemption. Riddled with guilt and betrayal, he hung himself. We know this. So the disciples were down to 11 instead of the 12. And next in chapter, chapter, uh, chapter 28, we see why they went to Galilee. If we look back, we'll see that it says on, uh, in verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So the women that were part of Jesus' entourage, they wanted to go and see the tomb where Jesus had been laid. And then we jump down to verse 9. It says, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So the Marys, they do what they're asked of the risen Savior, and they go and tell the disciples to go to Galilee. And they did as they were told. 
They made the trek to the sea where many of Jesus' miracles and were performed on or around and found him right where he said he would be. Verse 17 says that they worshipped him. Now, worship is a verb, not one of the ones that we're going to focus on today, but it is a verb. It means to show reverence and adoration. We just worshipped the Lord before we got started here with the sermon as we were singing songs about singing. I love that. Uh, it was great. Um, we are all wired to worship. Sometimes it's things or people. Sometimes it's institutions or ideologies. But our worship, really, our worship should be directed to one and one alone. I love how scripture itself shows us how to worship. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, uh, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that repeats again in the book of Revelation 4, 8. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Not only is God holy or holy, holy, he's holy, holy, holy. Another term for holy is set apart. So you could say he's set apart, set apart, set apart. So far removed from us that, that we can only show reverence and adoration to him. Yet he chose to come to us, um, in, to come to earth uh, in the form of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. Now this this is who the disciples were worshiping. But the verse goes on to say that some doubted. And I had to do some looking into why they doubted. I mean, especially after they were just, they were just worshiping Jesus. Why would they be doubting Jesus? The Greek word that's used here is the word ditsatso, distatso. And it means uncertain which way to take. So their doubt... Their doubt was not with Jesus, it was with themselves, and I can relate to that. I've lived the, do I have what it takes for a lot of my adult life? I struggle with that to the day, but I trust the one who has called me into missions far more than I trust my abilities. But this isn't the first time they had doubts. Also in the book of Matthew, earlier on in chapter 8, we see Jesus calm a storm while they were in a boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They experienced firsthand the fear of losing their lives. Now, combine that with the fact that a lot of them were professional fishermen who had been out probably in the middle of a, of a storm in the Sea of Galilee. They were just afraid. They experienced that to the instantaneous stillness of the raging sea. They also saw many other signs throughout Jesus' time with them. So this doubt that's in chapter 28, it's in themselves. But Jesus will address it right away in verse 18. He goes on to say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Or in other words, you can trust me. I was there when all of this was made. As a matter of fact, I made it and I control it. And then he gives them a command and the first of our verbs. Go. It's the first square on the Monopoly board when you start the game. It's, the, it's what the green traffic light is supposed to mean, although at some intersections in Norfolk, um, people think that the red light means go. Um, first, 
No, uh, 13th and Pazwalk. Just be careful. I'm all, that's all I'm saying. Um, the, last week I went to the Tom Martin Memorial Track Meet held in Pierce, where I got to see Summerland compete. Um, that was cool. Although the word go wasn't used, um, technically, uh, when the firing of the starting gun uh, at the races, that's what it implies, go. Um, if you don't have the correct card, you're told to go fish. When you're ordering at a fast food place, they ask you, is this for here or to go? Very good. You got the idea. <laughs> Jesus was telling his closest friends what to do next and how to do it. He was equipping them to continue what he started. And he started by telling them to go, as in begin now. When you go, you leave the place where you are. Now, that could mean geographically or figuratively, but the verb go is an active word, not passive. Jesus was telling them to leave the place where they were. Kind of scary, huh? But remember, he had just reminded them that he had all authority, so they could go. And that's what the thereafter, or that's what the therefore is there for. There, go, therefore. Why? Because he has all authority. And they did go. Through these men, thousands came to believe in Jesus, and the church began to spread across the world. And it still continues to spread through the work of missionaries and pastors and evangelists, but also through you. This call to go wasn't exclusive to the elite. There is no JV team for followers of Christ. This command to go is levied to all who are bought with Jesus' blood. There's no room for just showing up here on Sunday, consuming your weekly allotment of religion, and then living the way you want out there. Brennan Manning said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And that's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This command to go is for us today. There's a phrase that we use at LifePoint Church that, um, that we gather on Sunday as the church and scatter during the week to be the church. This commission is so that our families hear the gospel. It's for our friends to hear the gospel, our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors both next door and across town. You don't have to go to Zimbabwe to share the gospel. You can, but you don't have to. Your mission field is right where you are, living the way that God's word instructs us to, speaking the truth in love and pointing others to Jesus. Well, how does this happen? Well, let's take a look at the second verb, and that is the word make. When I was a kid, uh, my grandmother, uh, who is still alive at 106 years old, she was actually at my dad's funeral. It was great. Um, she had this large Tupperware container that, that was filled with, um, with random Legos, Lego bricks, you know, those, those types of things. Now, this was... This was way before there were, you know, different sets and plans and, 
and all that, that type of stuff that they have now. Um, actually, Melanie and I, just last year, uh, we put together um, Central Perk uh, from the, the set from the show Friends, uh, made out of Legos. That was a lot of fun. Um, but this particular container was just random pieces. Uh, so I can make whatever, whatever I imagined. Uh, Melanie, actually, what she does for a living is she works at Faith Regional, um, and she helps patients uh, make art every day. If you're handy with tools or if in the kitchen, you know how to make. Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples. Or to say it differently, do what I've been doing. He empowers them to continue his work. One of the things I love most about FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, is our commitment to the gospel. And you can't make disciples without the gospel. Discipleship can begin here within the walls of a local church. You guys are going to have a great study after, uh, during your Sunday school class. You guys, have, you guys are fantastic at that. That's one thing that we always walk away saying, how much you guys study and know your Bible, and that's awesome. And that's where discipleship can begin. But it's not limited to just Sunday mornings. You can have a relationship with a friend that's been a lifelong friend. And with the courage of the Holy Spirit, you can invite them into a Bible study once a week. Or whatever the time frame might be. Or maybe you're new to the faith. Look around this room. There are so many people who have studied God's word for such a long time, and I'm sure they would be happy to sit down with you to help you walk and grow through your study so that you can sit down with someone else and help them walk closer to God and study God's word. You see, disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's a never-ending process, process that started with Jesus and was put into practice in Matthew 28. Which leads us to our third verb in this verse, and that's the word teach. In verse 20, Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Essentially, he's saying, keep telling and instructing what I've modeled and instructed you. People don't become disciples of Jesus just simply by obeying his commandments in order to win his acceptance. Rather, the gospel is a conduit for life change. I recently saw a video clip of Pastor Alistair Begg talking about how when, when asked why we should enter heaven, if the answer that we provide is in the first person, we've gone off course. If it's because I, because I believe, because I have faith, because I've always gone to church, Pastor Begg goes on to say that the only proper answer is the third person, because he, because of what he did. We teach others to observe his commandments because of what he did for you and for me, not to gain favor, but as a result of the transformation of our hearts through the gospel. As I said, I've, uh, I've joined... Um, FCA, and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled um, that I'm part of an organization that holds this text as a foundation for all that we do. FCA's vision is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ 
through the influence of coaches and athletes. Our mission is to lead every coach and athlete into a relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. It's not just youth group for jocks, <laughs> but it's so much more. Actually, uh, our strategy is to and through the coach. You see, God has been uninvited, disinvited from our communities and schools, putting our culture, especially our youth, at risk. With FCA, we engage with coaches. And they, coaches, are the greatest influencers of youth in our day outside of parents in the home. As a matter of fact, Billy Graham was, uh, was quoted in saying, a coach will impact more people in a year than the average person does in an entire lifetime. So we equip coaches to be coaches for Christ. And we empower them as disciple makers in their mission field of sports. We help coaches lead their athletes to Christ. But in all honesty, we cannot do this alone. Just like the disciples, and just like Billy Graham, and just like Jim Elliott, and just like Peter Sample, and countless others who have followed that call to go, make, and teach. We've needed more. So Jesus concludes this pep talk um, with the 11 by reiterating what he said just a couple of verses before. He says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That had to be all the spark that they needed, right? Jesus, whom they've been at his side for three years, he told them that he would be with them always. But let's jump to Acts chapter 1, if you would, and we'll see the conclusion of this 40 days later. Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. And it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on. He was lifted up and a cloud a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So verse 8 is the linchpin here. By Jesus claiming to be with them, with us. He claims to be with them and with us to the end of the age. What he was talking about, he was talking about the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, the counselor. Jesus is reiterating the same point that he made to them in John 14, 14 16, when he said, I will ask of the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. I'd love to say that this is all the disciples needed to get them going, making, and teaching. But we see them just watching Jesus ascend to heaven, and they just stand there staring into the sky. These guys just didn't get it, I don't think, sometimes. But, I mean, did they, did they think that he would be right back? 
so, so God sends these two men in white robes to get their attention. And I, I wonder if it was just a little bit awkward. <laughs> I'd like to think that it was. Uh, like the men are just standing there and staring up in the sky. The, the white men came and just kind of, one of them maybe clears his throat after a minute. <clears throat> or was it men of Galilee? Like, get their attention, you know, and make them jump. <laughs> the book of Acts goes on to tell us that how they did get the picture. They followed God command, God's command to go, make, and teach. And it serves as an example to us that we can also go, make, and teach right where we live. So that's my challenge for us today. Who is it that you can engage, equip, and empower? Who is it that's engaging, equipping, and empowering you? My prayer is that the Holy Spirit, who is with you always as a believer, will help you to understand those questions, to answer those questions, and encourage you to be a disciple who makes disciples, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, we thank you, first and foremost, for your son. That you would send him to this planet to become just like us so that he could live the perfect life and die the death that we deserved on that cross. But Lord, we eternally more grateful that that's not the end of the story, that he rose from the dead and that he gave instructions to the people that were around him and those people gave those instructions to other people and those people gave instructions to other people and that it spread like wildfire and Lord, it's still spreading this day. Lord, without those people making disciples, going, making, and teaching, we would have no way of knowing who you are, knowing what you did, and knowing how it could change our hearts and our lives. So I pray that this passage would ring true to us right where we live, right where we're at. God, if there's someone here who feels called to go into the mission field and go off to some other country, I pray that you would just give them all that they need to do so. But Lord, I pray that every single person here would feel the urge, the spirits tugging on their hearts to answer the call in the mission field that they're already in. God, we praise you, glorify you, and thank you for this day in your holy name.